Hey folks, my name is Donovan James. I'm hosting a podcast called The Endless In Between, based off my book of the same name. While I was reflecting upon the themes and stories, I wondered how they would intersect with the artists, creatives, and healers that I've admired for so long. Listen as I explore their experiences and everything in between. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, so today's episode is a little bit different. Today we are having our first musical-based episode, and of course, if you know me at all, I had to do it on the one and only Taylor Swift, as her re-record of her fourth album, Red, is to be released this Friday. November 12th. It's a record that is so important in my life. And I figured, why don't I talk about this record? And not only talk about it, but bring on someone who also identifies as a Swifty that we can just share our experiences, have a good time. And for our casual listeners, I hope you really get to learn more about the influence of Taylor and what she means to us. I'm so excited and privileged to have our guest V, aka the caffeinated therapist. Um B is a Twin Cities-based trauma therapist whose clinical focuses are within domestic and sexual violence as well as developmental and complex trauma. B is also a classically trained pianist and an expert in all things Taylor Swift. I really hope you all enjoy today's episode and listen to Red this Friday. Thank you so much for creating and holding space with us today. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, This is actually the first music or oriented episode of the podcast. Um, And I'm so excited that you will be sharing your experience and love of music and artists, especially the one and only Taylor Swift. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And, um, you know, I am never going to turn down an opportunity to talk about music and in particular, an opportunity to talk about Taylor. So I'm really happy to be here. So I would love for you to tell us your story in whatever way that means for you. Yeah, so I, well, 
<laughs> I'm not necessarily sure what counts as my story per se, but mm. I guess a little bit about me. So um, I am a uh, mental health uh, trauma therapist, uh, currently living in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, doing my best to not um, acquire the Minnesotan accent, but if I slip into it, you'll have to forgive me. Um, I am a coffee queen. I am a huge hockey fan. Um, I love to travel and explore new places. Um, I love to read. I spend a lot of time with friends doing all sorts of random fun things. Um, I have moved a lot in my life. So I've gotten to uh, meet a lot of people and see a lot of places and, um, that has kind of, as far as, you know, thinking about like my story, uh, mm. that the fact that I've moved as much and kind of gotten to know as many different people and places as I have kind of shapes just a lot of my kind of perspective on life and how I've lived it. Um, but yeah, I think those are kind of my like main bullet points. I am, uh, I have been talking to a lot of people about my love of doing therapy in particular with using music as a piece of it. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I'm always very excited to have the opportunity to talk about that because even though I'm like not a music therapist, which is its own type of licensure and therapy, I do use music in a, a lot of my therapy practice. And so I'm excited to be able to have a chance to talk a little bit about that as well. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing. What's your earliest memory you have of music in your life? So I have a hard time uh, remembering like super early memories in my life, but I do know that when I was a little, little kid, I had a, um, a cassette tape player that I physically wore out from overuse. <laughs> Um, and because of how much music I listened to on it, uh, I don't necessarily remember all of the tapes that I had. I definitely know I had a Gloria Estefan's Greatest Hits cassette tape uh, that got a lot of play um, and probably a few, uh, a, few, a few Billy Joel tapes stolen from my parents. But I, um, I also know that I used when, so when that wore out, I used the replacement cassette tape player to record songs that I liked off the radio. Um, so for any of the younger folks listening, this is what we had to do before the era of mixed CDs or digital downloads or streaming services. You would just wait for a song that you liked to come on the radio yeah. and keep your fingers crossed and hope that when you recorded it, you could get the whole song without accidentally getting any of like the DJ voiceover in there. Cause then that was really annoying. You had to wait for it to come again. <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. I remember that. <laughs> so that's probably my like earliest memory of music is yeah. The cassette tapes and specifically trying to create my own tapes with things off the radio. Um, and as far as like making like, I, like I, I remember music classes like in elementary school and stuff too. And finding that to always be like one of the highlights of, you know, of school and stuff like that. Like the, it just was always, always something that appealed to me, both in like listening and kind of being involved with music type stuff. So for folks listening, um, I actually found out about you through a mental health in 
in in a beat that you did, which is really, really awesome. And um, you spoke a little bit about your background within music. And I'm wondering, like, when did you become a classically trained pianist? Yeah, so I started, um, I started taking piano lessons when I was maybe six, seven, somewhere in there. I was young, um, but I, I continued doing that all through childhood, high school, um, and then ultimately ended up actually majoring in music um, in undergrad in college. So I have a degree in honors music with an emphasis in piano performance and honors in composition. Um, and my, um, my secondary instruments are flute and percussion. Um, so from like listening to music, playing music, writing music, music has kind of always been my like my safe space, my harbor in a storm. So that was a, a very important piece for me to pursue when I went to college as kind of my my primary focus at that time. Like I knew I knew fairly early in high school that that's what I wanted to do in college and I'm glad that I pursued it and stuck with it and had the opportunity to learn from some really incredible musicians um, and have a really fantastic formal music experience there. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more um, as we go along. And I'm wondering how you, um, how your journey, um, at least career-wise, um, went from music to doing social work and therapy. Yeah, um, I, so when I graduated from college, um, I did a, well, I did a year in a volunteer corps and then took a job as a music director at a church um, and was also teaching piano lessons at the time and also doing gigs, playing for weddings, uh, funerals, events, blah, 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 um, and absolutely loved it. But I also have had for a long time uh, the passion around mental health type stuff and um, had primarily been doing it in a lot of different volunteer capacities. So like in college, um, I had been volunteering with a nonprofit organization called To Write Love on Her Arms, um, which is a national nonprofit centered around mental health resource access. Um, and I was also then a few years out of school, I was volunteering with the um, with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and I was doing um, workshops going into high schools and doing like basic kind of like mental health 101 presentations. Um, and so I was doing those things. And then I had found like some free online classes that like were being offered that were it was kind of like continuing guide type stuff around mental health and I was like oh this is super interesting I'm going to learn more about that too because that'll help me more in this like in these volunteer roles that I have and it kind of got to this point where like I was realizing and also friends were pointing out to me like they're like you know you're spending a lot of time doing this it's obviously something that you really enjoy and are passionate about like is that something that you have ever considered pursuing further? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I'm sure I couldn't. 
and I like, I, I think I was probably the last one to know that I was destined to be a therapist. Cause I think all my friends kind of had that figured out before I fully did. Um, but did end up deciding, yeah, that is what I want to do. And so I ended up, um, applying for grad school immediately after returning from a vacation for my birthday where I had had that was where I had the like solidifying epiphany that it was time to apply for grad school because I had gone to Hawaii for my birthday and uh the book that I brought with to read on the beach while I was there is a book called Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman and it's basically like a trauma therapy grad school textbook kind of I was just like very interested in it but I was like okay we are literally on the beach like sitting with my friend who's reading a romance novel and I'm here reading about like personal and political trauma and I was like you know maybe we just need to accept that this is what we're meant to do like let's let's do this if we're gonna do it let's do it (laughs) oh my gosh that's so funny and I I feel like that's such like a therapist thing like (laughs) like like as our friends are like reading like a like a like a fantasy book or like a romance novel we're like always thinking or like reading about like things within our field and it i i feel like it never stops it never stops Truly, you can never you can never learn too much and it is kind of a it's a, an important balance thing like i do try to remind myself hey you should read some things like just straight up for lighthearted fun sometimes too because i I do really like to just read fun things too, but I'm always going to be that nerd who likes to read new clinical things. So (laughs) I'm wondering um, your thoughts on how music um, can impact those who've been through trauma experiences um, and clients that you may work with um, on a day-to-day basis okay so I have both a um a more a a simple more emotional answer to that and a super nerdy answer to that so I'm gonna start my nerdy side um (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll be brief I promise but so thinking about how music can be helpful for um people who have gone through trauma um music is a global process so meaning that it stimulates both sides of your brain um and so that's there's been a lot of research around how that's part of why musicians often have um increased uh, like th- different learning outcomes and memory function and cognitive things that's why if you um there there have been studies where uh, looking at like elderly folks who have had a lot of memory loss, things like that, where they like really can't remember a lot of their life or the people in it, but you sit them down in front of a piano and they can play songs that they knew when they were a kid, like music, it it's a global process gets into, it, like I said, stimulates both sides of the brain. Um, and that's actually the same process that our brain is designed to use in processing memory and emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so like if you for like i mean if you or anyone else knows anything about like trauma therapy modalities um you've probably heard of emdr or similar modalities that use forms of that bilateral brain stimulation um, as the same kind of concept to stimulate both sides of the brain in order to help facilitate that process of um, processing and integrating memories and emotions and emotional experiences um so like from a neurological level because music activates those same like our it activates our brain in a similar type of process it can literally help us process emotions and experiences including those traumatic emotions and experiences um so like if you've ever had the experience where you are you know like something upsetting happens but you maybe haven't like haven't necessarily had a, a super strong reaction to it yet like you're still kind of numb or you just you know feel a little disconnected from it or just feel like it hasn't fully sunk in yet whatever and then the next thing you know you're like driving down the highway crying to fast car by tracy chapman and you're like oh okay there it is that right there like <laughs> the music it hits that spot and can um really help facilitate some of that so that's my like very nerdy neurological answer to that. Also, the like less nerdy piece being that sometimes it's just really hard to figure out what you're feeling um, or even harder to like articulate what you're feeling. Like maybe you know it, but it's hard to say what that is or describe it. Um, and music can help us really identify those feelings or like speak to our experiences. Like music can make you feel seen and understood um even when you might otherwise be feeling really alone in how you're feeling or what you're going through it might give us language to put to our emotions if we are talking about them to someone else um, or might help us understand those emotions better ourselves when we're trying to figure out just what exactly is going on in our feelings um, so even just on that level music is a, a really good way to kind of connect with our lives and our experiences on that kind of core emotional piece. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I feel like music is something that can be um, a great equalizer in the world because we connect with like the beat or rhythm and like you just pointed out, like the feeling um, or emotions that that um, musicians create. And I, I know that everyone loves music, um, but I feel that folks that have been marginalized um, throughout history, particularly like people of color, women, and for myself, um, being from the queer community, um, music speaks differently to us. And I remember um, like, speaking to um, your thoughts around how like music can help us try to connect the thoughts within our lives and our experiences. I think for myself, like really navigating like my sexuality, like music, particularly the, um, the, the women musicians that I listened to since I was a kid, like really helped me to, um, feel like safe and seen and um, without going too much into it, like a tangent, like I remember the first CD I ever got was Britney Spears' um, Baby One More Time album. 
and <laughs> just like how much I played that over and over and over. And I think, yeah, so I got that and I got um, my love of country music started with, um, with um, Shania Twain and her Come On Over album. Yes. So I was playing Man, Man, I Feel Like a Woman over and over and over. Um, and I, I don't know, I think like those early experiences with music and seeing um, women in like just owning their power, owning their sexuality, um, just really spoke to me. Even if, even if as a kid, I, I didn't really know all the time what they were singing about, like some part of me still connected. Um, and I have both of those albums as well. So yes. excellent taste. I feel like that's kind of like it's like the, the product of an era. The yes. crucial question is with your Baby One More Time CD, which color CD did you have? Because you know, there were different color CDs with different colored flowers. Um, is it weird that I know exactly the, the color scheme like years later? I no, believe it was- It's not weird because I know I asked. <laughs> I, I believe it was like a lilac background and then the flower was pink around it. Love it. Mine, um, I had the uh, pink CD with the green flower on it, so. <laughs> and and I, I feel like even the album cover and like just her pose, I'm just like, that's so, so iconic still. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but going back to, um, the queer experience, I, I, I feel like, not speaking for all of us within the queer community, but I feel like a lot of us, um, definitely we go hard for the, for the women that we really love and see ourselves um, reflected in. So I'm wondering within your own experience, who are women in music that have inspired you and gotten you through difficult times within your life? Well, there are probably many I could think of. Um, obviously, I mean, the obvious answer would be Taylor, and I know we're going to talk quite a bit more in depth about her in a little bit here, so I won't uh, dive too deeply into that at the moment, but she would be an obvious number one. Um, as far as um, other women in music who like kind of got me thinking about the idea of getting through hard times, the uh, first album that I remember like really connecting to on that like deep emotional level um, was Avril Lavigne's first album, Let Go. Ooh, uh, yes. <laughs> that album yeah. came out during a very formative time in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Baby Teenage Me felt super seen and understood by that album in a way that I had not necessarily feel felt uh, seen or understood by other albums. Like I'd had lots of other music that I loved, you know, well before that, of course. But that was like, oh, I love this and I see myself in it, mm -hmm. um, which was 
really, really cool. Um, I like I cannot even begin to guess how much I listened to that album. Um, and similarly, uh, her second album, Under My Skin, basically got me through high school. And, you know, I mean, we all know that, you know, thinking about getting through hard times, like that's high school, right? Like hard times. Ooh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, Avril Lavigne was also the first uh, major concert that I ever went to when I was 14. So, so yeah, so while like Taylor is probably my main emotional support musician, like on the whole, I do have to give uh, a ton of credit and gratitude to Avril for getting me my younger self through most of the hard shit in life. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that those are probably the primary two as far as like the most inspiring or like getting me through difficult times. Um, I have a lot of other musicians and including um, it, like other women who maybe don't necessarily inspire me in the sense of getting me through hard times, but just choose music that I love. And then other artists who are not women who, you know, do kind of get me through hard times and all of that. It's with music as kind of my like primary internal support system. I feel like just the idea of music getting me through hard times is just a general theme in my life so <laughs> yes um I would definitely have to make you a um playlist and send it your way um some something that I love to do is every month I like send like all of my friends like a playlist of like music that I'm listening to lately so I'll definitely send some songs your way next month <laughs> um so before we get into even more exciting um content um i just want to say that everything um that we're about to say is our opinion um as swifties know that we go hard for our queen but everything that we're saying is just our own like reflection and our own opinion um so please don't come for us it's out of love it's out of love these <laughs> are so great and also we are so hardcore that you really yeah. do okay let me be very clear i'm only speaking for myself here <laughs> yeah, same i second that um so i would love to know how did you get introduced to taylor's music so I actually really wish that I could tell you like exactly when I first heard her music and I, but I honestly don't remember. And that bugs me because I really wish that I had like my origin story. Um, but I don't remember like the first song that I heard or when it was, I do. What I remember is that I loved her debut album and bought it really shortly after it came out. Um, so like, I mean, I have been a fan since, you know, the, the early days. Um, and I remember it was particularly noteworthy for me how much I loved that album um, because for two reasons. One, that I had previously not really been too much of a fan of country music in general. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I thought that it was very cool that Taylor and I are basically the same age. She's like a little bit less than six months older than me. Um, so yeah, basically the same age. Um, and I remember at that point in time with the debut album, there was like 
a small subset of people who knew who she was because of like the couple of radio singles or whatever, but people either were like, oh yeah, she's cool. Or they were like, eh, not really my thing. Like wasn't really on her radar, like, or on their radar. Um, but nobody was necessarily, at least at that point in time in my circles, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so at the time I was like, I mean, I'm very, very into this. This is very good, but I didn't really necessarily have anybody else who was at the same level of enthusiasm. So I kind of just kept it on the DL, like not to say that I like denied how much I enjoyed it, but I just was, you know, like, oh yeah. And I like Taylor Swift, like her new, her, that, that CD that she just put out is, is pretty good. And in my head, I was just like, no, it's actually like amazing. And I want to tell you why, but I don't want you to think that I'm not chill. So I'm just going to tell you, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, my introduction was we were driving. I so I was with my friend, and I believe I believe I was a, a sophomore in high school, and I was with two of my friends in their red Mustang, <laughs> and um, one of them was going through like a really difficult breakup um uh the song that was playing was um invisible and I was just like who is this singing like I literally was just like this song makes me want to cry like instantly and also it's just so beautifully written um uh, my parents was like, it's Taylor Swift. And I was like, I don't know who this is. Um, but she let me borrow this CD and I don't think I ever gave it back to her. <laughs> so I'm sorry if, 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 if you're listening to this, I still have the CD at my mom's house in color. That is your friend's villain origin story right there. Like that is absolutely a villain origin story of like, I loaned my first Taylor Swift CD to my friend and I never got it back. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think speaking to something you said earlier of like um, seeing yourself um, reflected in someone's music I think for me like I still am in love with uh, Britney and at the time like Gaga was on the scene and I think for me um seeing Gaga was like this out of world person that literally was herself and also like almost I felt like 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 a trying to think of the word just like just like extraordinary and like a type of person that I wouldn't really be able to relate to outside of like her status right and I think even with uh, Brittany when I was younger I felt connected with her through her music, but also like she was like, she's almost 40. So she was like 10 years older than I was. So like, I guess when people throughout my 
uh, Swifty dumb. It's just like, uh, the question I always get asked is why are you a fan of her? And I think at the heart of it, just like she came into my life at a point where like she was going through the exact same things that I was and like how like cool is that to like essentially have grown up with someone and you know like some folks may may think that she's like so famous now that like it's impossible to relate to her, but I'm like, I still find myself still like relating to her on some things. Oh, and <laughs> I, I think that's that's something that honestly is one of her strengths is like that like relatability has like never gone away, especially in her songwriting. But I think even as her as a person, like that's something that's core to her. And I'm sure as you know, it's core to being a part of, a part of this fan base is like, we feel so close to her and connected to her. Oh yeah, I yeah, I feel like I tell people that a lot as far as the piece about, yeah, like, oh, why do you feel so connected? I'm like, well, because again, on the one hand, it's just this like fun trivia fact of like, oh yeah, Taylor Swift and I are basically the same age. But I'm like, I, on the other hand, it actually really is a significant thing because her music, especially her early music, was all focused on that, like the diary style songwriting. So yeah, not only were we the same age, but she was writing and singing about all of the things that like were in my head and maybe in my journal, but I was never going to say out loud. But then I heard somebody else singing about it. I was like, oh, hey, you get it. Okay. You know, especially at that age, like, you know, 16, 17, 18, like, I mean, nobody really understands you of course nobody could but Taylor actually did I was like wait she gets it like and it's true you know when 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 you're 15 and somebody tells you you're gonna believe them <laughs> it, it really is oh my god that line oh, especially oh my god especially now that she released um the Taylor's version of that and just being like her at 30 singing this it hits differently but it still hits still, yes. still the same yep. well and even then too right so yeah so she releases taylor's version at you know 30 31 and it's like oh my gosh yeah she's 31 and reflecting on her you know younger self writing about being 15 and then i'm like oh my god I'm 31, listening to this song, reflecting on my younger self that was listening to 15. Like. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I'm sure we'll get into the re-recordings a bit later too. There's so much good stuff to talk about. There's oh. like so much chaos happening in the Swifty world with re-recordings right now that it is yes. just a lot of time to be alive, honestly. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I know that um, this 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 wasn't a part of some of the questions that I had for you, but um, she just released Wildest Dreams. <laughs> just like, girl, I was not prepared. I like, we had no warning as she loves to do these days. I'm just like the production and her vocals, I'm like, gorgeous gorgeous so good so good well and she has i mean it is 
I think she must be delighting in the chaos because oh, you know yes. when she dropped like folklore and evermore we got like a day's notice but like this wildest dreams re-recording she told us the morning of like I was getting ready to go into a therapy session. Like I have a clock at eight, or I have a client at eight o'clock in the morning. And at like 745, I get the like Taylor tweet notification. And she's like, here, here's a song. And I was like, what? I'm like you, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, first of all, 15, like, like just immediate notice 15 minutes before I'm supposed to go and do something. That's chaos. Also, why are you giving me a 1989 song when we're leading up to the re-release of Red? I don't understand. I'm not mad about it, but I don't understand. So my brain is just all over the place. And of course, then, you know, Swifty Twitter is all a flutter with conspiracy theories about what does this mean? And I'm like, I think it means that she likes chaos, you know? Yes, yes. I, I mean, at this point, there's no other like um, ex explanation for it. And I also kind of love it because I'm just like, um, for folks that may not be familiar, like Taylor was on like a strict cycle. So she would basically release her albums like every two years, except for Reputation, which was I think three years, right? Yep. And then Lover came out like a year and a half after that. Yep. Yeah. So, and then with Folklore and Evermore, she completely just like, she <laughs> just surprised us all and just released stuff and I'm I really hope that this like is something that she continues to do like even though us as Swifties and fans are in chaos because it's just like she's worked so hard to get to this point and I'm so happy that she's just like here 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 you go and I I like live for it so much yep yeah I don't know how much like um with you know the kind of previous really structured schedule as far as releases and tour and all of that i don't know how much of that was uh like contractual kind of scheduling by her label versus how much of that was just like her thing of like this is the kind of rhythm that makes sense to me but you know i mean probably a little bit of both but i i appreciate that you know especially within you know, the pandemic times where it feels like time means nothing. I like that she has basically just been like, eh, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm letting go of all of these ideas about schedules and what it means to promote something and what it means to, you know, get this set up or that set up. Like, I'm just going to do what I do, the, like, you know, make the music that I love to make and do what I want with it. And at this point, I mean, she's, she doesn't have to follow anybody's rules like that. Like, you know, it's not like she's an up and coming artist who really does need to be really carefully planning some kind of like promotional schedule or something. Like she drops something and within moments we've broken the internet cause we've all downloaded it. So do what you want, girl, like let chaos reign. <laughs> yes. Um, ooh, so this next question, it may be a little difficult. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite Taylor songs um, and what do they mean to you? So I, I told you, um, I told you a little bit earlier before we kind of started recording that this was the hardest uh, one to think about for me as far as this could be honestly an hour long podcast episode in and of itself. Um, 
but I will, I will do my best to give, you know, a slightly condensed answer. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I love all too well. It's kind of the fandom favorite and it is a classic. It just hits all of those heartbreak feelings. It is a perfectly constructed song. Like I, I absolutely love it. Um, and so it means a lot, both in the sense of like, it was one of my favorites on the album when Red was, when Red was released. Um, and it also then now has meaning because again, fandom favorite. So it's just like, this is the one that all of the Swifties come together over and be like, this is amazing. Um, I also, I love State of Grace. State of Grace is a hugely meaningful song to me. Um, because I mean, for one thing, it's just an awesome song, but it also like really well represents kind of my overall persona, I guess, um, as a very passionate person. Um, so it just kind of captures that part of my essence. Um, also has my, and while I love so many of her lyrics, I would say that my favorite lyric comes from State of Grace, um, which would be, so you were never a saint and I loved in shades of wrong. We learned to live with the pain, mosaic broken hearts, but this love is brave and wild. Oh, <laughs> it gets Poetry. me every time. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's a favorite. Um, an underrated favorite that I feel like not enough people give the credit that it is due um, is Safe and Sound with Civil Wars. Um, that is my calming song when I need to feel, well, safe. Um, <laughs> it, like, it just like brings me to this like very calm place that is it's just very like emotionally regulating for me. Um, so love that song. Um, and this is me trying and mirror ball are two that are intensely relatable to me and my oh, life. Oh my god, yes, speak of it. Oh. So uh both of those yeah, like I just I feel like both of them are things that I could have written, although certainly had I written them, they would not have been anywhere near as poetic and eloquent. Um, but those two very much just yeah, very relatable. Um and I think probably the last one that I would say as far as like major favorites that are super meaningful would have to be Love Story um, because Love Story is just always going to be that nostalgic favorite for me because nobody knows passion like 18 year old me scream singing that you know they're trying to tell me how to feel this love is difficult but it's real like nobody knows that kind of passion they just it's you just can't top that so that will always be a nostalgic favorite for me <laughs> so real so i actually wrote out a whole list because and it, it it makes me laugh laugh a little bit because i'm like oh like my favorite song that i loved like for years and years is like just in my top five now it's not my favorite so it's so interesting yeah. I, I think it's so interesting especially as her um discography expands and not only just that but like it's so diversified now that it's like wow like songs still hit me but they hit 
differently. So like you, I'll just pick a couple <laughs> because we could probably be here for, like you said, another hour, probably two hours. <laughs> just different doing like different. differently at different stages of life and depending on what you're going through. And oh yeah, it can be a lot. <laughs> yes. So I think one that I definitely um, always tell people was one that really stuck with me early on was from her first album, um, Stay Beautiful. It just, it just made me so happy. And like, I don't know, I just think even for uh, like, like again, for her age at 16, like, like being able to be like, like, I hope you find everything that you want. And then if things are right, that you'll come back to me. Who? Who yes. thinks like that? That's like, like more emotionally mature than I feel like I really am now, you know, at 31. Like, I'm like, oh man, you are being the bigger person there. Like, but you know, I mean, that's just, <laughs> But it just makes me so, so happy. And I would post the like lyrics on my MySpace page. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that's one that always will be like a forever fave for me um I think um speaking to one that you said like um like calms you and soothes you um probably what you want is is that for me and I I would say it's probably my favorite song of hers and I I think of I th I think about this when I'm thinking about like all the other songs that I could possibly choose, <laughs> and it's just like I think it's just like I think about like what the Reputation album probably means for her, and how that was the first time that she like went out of the spotlight. She didn't do interviews during this time period like it was a huge shift for her and I was so here for it personally I don't think that she needs to do interviews anymore like I would love if she went the like Beyonce route and was just like I'm just gonna give y'all the music and here it is but I also understand that I don't think that she'll do that because as a songwriter I I feel like she loves to talk about her process and how she Create. So I know, I know that at least when talking about her wrath, that's something that she'll always want to talk about. And I and I think um, since since reputation, that's kind of the route that she's just really taken. When 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 whenever she does interviews, it's either her songwriting or her thoughts. <laughs> that's where like the like with like the um, the long pond studio sessions. That seems to be a good route for her oh. um, like that was a thing where it was like she produced it and you know I mean it was not an interview but it gave her the chance to give that type of um, information that context have that conversation about her songwriting that she loves to give so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that of like maybe less interviews but more 
you know, quote unquote, like behind the scenes type things where she gets a chance to talk through her creative process. Here's what this song means to me. Here's what it was like writing it. And she can do all of that without having somebody asking her invasive personal questions about her love life or her family or, you know, whatever. Yes, definitely. And uh, I think another reason why I really love the song is for me, I feel like that was the first time like she was singing about her love life, but like in present tense. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, like I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, wait, she's singing about her life in like present tense. Like, 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 like it's happening for her. And like, I love how she like alludes to things like in like her older songs and connects them to newer ones. Like, mm-hmm. I love how she connected, uh, um new 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 romantics um and love story and i i just love how it was just parlaying like all of her past experiences into who she was then and it's and i think also it's like a simple love song and and for folks listening that may not be familiar with her music um, in an in-depth way, she is a brilliant songwriter. And I think for her to really make this song, like the word that comes to my mind is simple. And I don't mean that in like a derogatory way at all. I think it was just like, it was just like, I'm just gonna write a love song. and it's going to be like this. And it also just makes me feel like I'm like in the clouds, all safe and warm. (laughs) I also really love um, songs that she writes about her family. Um, And Marjorie, it literally just made me burst into tears when I first heard it. I uh, was really close to my grandma throughout um, my younger years until she passed away when I was a teenager. So I just really loved how she, like, like again, creates this beautiful like um, imagery of her grandmother and like what their time was like together. Um, and I, I, I just think the song is so beautiful. And then one of my favorite songs to uh, dance around to is um, Holy Ground. It's one of my favorite songs of hers of all time. And I'm happy that she's starting to like play it more, it seems, because I, I think she understands that like, we really love that song. <laughs> I, when that, um, well, and I know we're going to be talking about Red later and the release of it, but when that album came out, um, I was, it, it ended, Holy Ground ended up on my running playlist immediately because it was like the perfect song to start yeah. on a run, like the pacing of it and the drive of it. Like, I was just like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I can, I'm like, let's go, let's do this. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I just, 
I mean, it's, uh, it's exactly what you said. It's like the pacing of it and how it starts off and it builds and builds. And then I'm just like, yes, I want to twirl around in my room, but I want to just like dance like no one's watching. Like that is why she made the song. Well, it's probably not, but <laughs> but I feel like it is. That we use any given song for, that's why she made it. <laughs> But it's, and that's another part of why it's so hard to pick a favorite, right? Because you have different songs that you need for different things. Your song that you want to cry to is different than your song that you want to run to, which is different than the song that you want to twirl to, you know. That's what I like. I have um, my, I have a playlist that I have titled Taylor Holy Trinities. And basically it is just my top three from each album, as well as three favorite bonus tracks and then three favorite non-album tracks because I'm oh. extra like that. Um, and that's like the closest that I can usually come to when people are like, oh yeah, like what's your favorite Taylor song? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to send you this playlist because I cannot give you one song because it can totally vary by mood, by genre, by whatever. <laughs> yes. Ooh, that's so real. And the next question may be a little bit harder <laughs> is what's your personal ranking of her albums? So I, this actually is not quite as hard as I thought that it might be, but I will give two disclaimers. One, that none of her albums are bad and that even any album that I rank lower, quote unquote, is still better than any other like album that I listen to. So <laughs> I don't uh, I don't want any Swifties who are hardcore stands of any of my like bottom three coming at me and saying that I don't like them. I do. I love them. Um, also in my ranking, the one thing that I feel like switches around a lot is my um, where 1989 and Lover are tend to switch places on me, depending mm -hmm. on my mood and depending on the day. So, um, but everything else very has felt very solid for a while. So Red is my favorite. Um, and then I would put Folklore as second um, with Evermore as a very close third. Those two real close, but I would put Folklore second, Evermore as third. Um, Speak Now as my fourth one, um, Fearless as my fifth one, debut after that, then 1989, then Lover, then Reputation. And again, rep stands, don't at me. I love Reputation. <laughs> I really do. It's just there has to be an album that is at the bottom of the list when you are ranking them. And that's how it happens to turn out for me. But I love that album a lot. <laughs> is there is there one that um and again even and me even asking this question like it you you might not have an answer is like is there one that you find yourself gravitating towards most uh usually red red is my like i mean it's my favorite album not just of hers but actually just my favorite album of music of all time so i tend to gravitate towards that more than anything um but again totally a like phase thing like actually really recently um i i couldn't really tell you why but recently i've been on a huge speak now kick um i have in my like um 
like you know in Spotify how it will like it can show you like what songs you have on repeat lately a really large portion of my songs that are on repeat lately are off of speak now and I'm like I don't know why I'm in a speak now vibe when like she just like she re-released she did the re-recording of fearless we've got red re-recording coming out soon she dropped wildest dreams which is off 1989 so i've got like three different albums that have really recent things happening with them but for some reason what i seem to be listening to a lot of lately is speak now so i don't know i don't know what that's about but you know i just i find myself really regularly these days just bopping along in the car reminding people that people throw rocks at things that shine so yes. <laughs> So speaking of Speak Now, that's actually my favorite. Oh, yay. Um, <laughs> I, I just really, so that was the first tour I ever saw of her. Okay. And I loved it. And I also really love that she wrote this entire album by herself. Yes. And it was a total, like, um, a total, like, F you to a lot of folks like in the industry that just doubted her um her her um songwriting abilities and i think it's so cool especially um once we got folklore i was like this is like her strength this is songwriting and it's so cool to kind of see it come full circle um to an album that she owns that's hers um a second would be red. Um, I know we're gonna get into the re-recording and just the album um, as a whole, um, but um, I will echo your sentiment. It's it's probably one, if not my favorite record of like all time, and uh, it's so freaking well done. <laughs> Oh, yes, I can't wait to talk about it a little bit more. Um, <laughs> my third will be Brett. Um, I really just um, love the whole rollout of that. The tour was probably the best tour I've ever been to. Um, and also that, that for me is arguably one of her best merch rollouts. Ooh, yeah, yep, mm-hmm. And I just really liked how it all was so well done. Um, you know, merch, I just have to say that I appreciate that we are both wearing 1989 merch at this moment. Um, excellent. So, <laughs> so I was going to wear the cardigan over this, but it's like 80, and I was like, I'm not trying to do the most right now. My cardigan is literally on the chair next to where I'm sitting right now, where I had that similar thought that I would, and I actually was wearing it this morning because it was a little bit chilly this morning, but then yeah, now it's like 80 degrees and I'm like, that's, that's a hard pass. I'm not going to wear a cardigan now. <laughs> um, fourth would be Evermore. I just really, so I kind of go back and forth with folklore and Evermore. And I really love how she spoke about how the, in her mind, these were like seasons, right? So folklore is like spring, summer, evermore is fall, winter. And there's just something about Taylor Swift and fall that it's like home. And, and I really just, I, I don't know, like I've, 
Evermore right now. I just keep on listening to it quite a bit. Um, it's overshadowed by folklore as far as is. like general uh, opinion about it. And I'm like, you should not sleep it on is. Evermore. There's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think uh, upon first listen for me, it was like, okay, this sounds like an extension of folklore, which to an extent, it, it very much is. But like, it's like listening to it. It's also very d- distinctive mm-hmm. from folklore as well. Yep. Like, like there are like some like continuing story arcs, but I feel like she also added in some new ones too. Yeah. And also, I really love um, right, right where you left me. I was like, yeah. this is a bonus track. I should have just been on the like out. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite bonus track she's done yes um also i love the lakes from folklore as well i i was just like uh, again with the songwriting i was like i may have to get like an encyclopedia and also a dictionary (laughs) to, to understand what she's saying but i was just like this is beautiful it uh, poetry it's yeah literally poetry (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so after folklore would be 1989 which was a fantastic tour yes um which i'm assuming that you went to because yes that is the shirt that i'm wearing is my 1989 tour shirt yes um what um what city were you in and did she have a special guest that night? So um, I was in St. Paul um, here at the XL Energy Center and she did not have a special guest that night Um, but it was the so that was actually the first tour of hers that I was able to attend. Um, The uh, Speak Now tour I desperately wanted to go to but it, so that album came out while I was in college and I was in college in Minnesota. And when she came to Minnesota, I was at home for Christmas break, which was in California at the time. And then she was in California while I was at school in Minnesota. <laughs> so I missed her on both sides for speak now. So then I was like, well, I'm definitely going to do red, but red came out the year after I graduated college and I was doing my volunteer core year and the cost of a ticket was like more or less my monthly stipend (laughs) so I was like I really can't afford this like that's just not going to happen um and so 1989 was the first time that I was able to see her live and it was just it was perfect it was such a such a well done tour and like just she was really really in her element for that and I I would agree with you that I think that rep has been her best tour but I feel like 1989 was um the was the a a tour that like really got her into the idea of like how can i make my tour not just like represent or showcase the album but like actually enhance the album because i feel like both 1989 and reputation it was like 
this is like the enhanced version of the album within the tour. Like it's not just, oh, I'm, you know, performing these songs and again, showcasing them or whatever. It's like, no, this is a whole immersive experience thing that it's, she's excellent at it. <laughs> yes. That, yes, because um, folk, and perhaps you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this, the 1989 tour was the first tour where she was using, using the light-up light um, wristbands, right? Yep. yep. And I literally thought that was so cool. So for folks that may be unaware, um, both on her 1989 and her Reputation tour, um, when you went into your venue, they would give you um, a, right, uh, a white, wristband and at the time I was like okay whatever this is but they kind of said make sure you wear it like right when the show starts and I was like okay whatever but then like there's something so magical about being at the Taylor show and this is a part of it it's just like once um, the music started and throughout the entire show actually the wristbands would light up um, according to what song and according to the rhythm and the beat it was so cool the visual of it is stunning like it's yes. like its own stunning. its own kind of piece of the the spectacle the performance because of how it's connected to the music and then the kind of symbolism of it is great like because of how she's talked about it as like the reason that she did that was that she wanted to be able to look out into these massive uh, venues, these arenas, these stadiums. She wanted to be able to look out and see every single person that was there because she wanted it to still feel like those original shows that she did mm -hmm. when like it was way smaller where she could see everybody's face. And she was like, well, you know, when I'm in, you know, the Excel Energy Center, the Staples Center, like whatever, like I, I'm not going to be able to see everybody's faces, but I can see all of those wristbands lighting up when I look out. So I know that I'm seeing every person there. And of course, when we're all like, you know, I mean, we're sentimental Swifties who are like, oh, we're so connected. We're like, yes, yes, yes. You can see all of us, every single one of our lights. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Oh. Um, so for my tour, um, I was in, <laughs> so I, so I was kind of crazy. So, um, at the time I was going to school in, um, in, um, in, um, Sacramento, California, but the, um, and she had a show in San Francisco, but um, I was gonna go see my family back in San, back in San Diego, and I was like, "Oh, she's performing." Um, so um, I I had it all planned out that I was gonna just extend my time with my family so that I could go see her in San Diego. Um, however, I got a um, I got a new job up in Sacramento, and they needed me back up. Um, around the same time as the Taylor show. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make it to orientation, but I'm gonna like take like, take like a, well, well, like it wasn't a red eye, but I'm just gonna go back to San Diego for a day and a half to see Taylor and then come back. 
And I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And um, like you said, it for me, thinking about it now, it was such um, a cultural moment. And people may be like, okay, yeah, like whatever. No, like seriously, in 2015, the whole world was Taylor Swift's dance. Like, like even if you didn't know her like catalog, every, everyone knew the words to shake it off. Everyone knew the words to the like space. Like, like, like seriously, like, like all the Insta captions that year. Darling, like, I'm gonna dress like a daydream. Yeah. Who, who did not post a selfie with that caption? We yeah. all did. I don't believe any Swifty who says they didn't. Like, no, we all did. Yeah. So it was thinking about it now, like what a cultural moment it was. Um, and like, like I could feel that energy. Like we didn't know it was gonna be that big, but I think for me, like once I was in that arena and like looking around at, like I was like oh my god like this is like her her huge moment mm-hmm. um and it was really well deserved and um she had two guests the first oh my god what's his name um the person that sings um that um cheerleader song um oh i think i found myself a cheerleader oh shoot no i know who you're talking about um oh my goodness i'm so sorry to this man <laughs> you know when we think about it we're gonna feel really dumb like yes. they're gonna be like oh <laughs> um I'm sorry, sir, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you 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 were there and you got us very hyped and excited. Um, and then, okay, you are probably going to scream after I tell you. So um, it was right before she went into, um, we, we are uh, never ever getting back together but she's like, I've been listening to this artist since I was a kid and I was seeing her music in my bedroom. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Hilary Duff. It's it's like Lindsay Lohan. I was like, I was like throwing out names in my head. And then Avril Lavigne comes out, <laughs> like rises up out of the sea and I like lost my mind. I truly would have died. Like as much as I'm jealous of you having that experience, it's probably a good thing that I didn't because I think I would have passed away right there and I wouldn't be here now because I would have died. Deceased, dead, RIP me, died. Yeah. I, I almost did, I almost did. And I was just like, so cool. Um, they sing complicated and uh, it was just so cool, so cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, the whole tour was such a moment. Stellan would be lover, um, which I'm so sad that we didn't get lover fest. I, I was looking forward to it. And I, I also feel like we didn't really get to appreciate the album um, as much because, you know, like the um, pandemic happened and 
um, she um, released this masterpiece to us <laughs> called Folklore. And, you know, I think it kind of fell by the wayside, but I will say for me, um, it was like a return to form of sorts for her um, in the, in the, in the aspect of like, for me, it was some of her best um, song um, write, writing um, up, up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Cornelia Street is so beautiful, especially the um, acoustic version that she did um, while she was in um, Paris. It, it, gorgeous, gorgeous. If you haven't listened, Definitely go on your Spotify or Apple Music and listen after this episode. Um, Every now and again, I will see like a a tweet where somebody will ask. I mean, I've actually asked people this too. Like, what are what are some songs that you think that like or like some live versions of songs by anybody that you think are better than the like studio album version? And that is one that's always on my list. I'm, yeah. And I love the album version. It's I, it's great. But yeah, that live uh, that live acoustic version of Cornelia Street in Paris just oof hits right every time. Yes. Um, Cruel Summer should have been the lead single. I, I, I love her dearly. Please don't come for me. I don't know why she made me the lead single. I, I really don't understand it. (laughs) I don't even mind me that much, but I just thought, I'm like, you released the album at the, like, peak of summer or like right towards the end of like she released it mid-August yeah I'm like you would have released a lead single early in summer so would it not have made a lot of sense to have what is arguably one of the most radio-friendly tracks on the album as the lead single in particular when it is a song called Cruel Summer and we're heading into summer like I, I again love her don't even have like no shade towards me but yeah I had that same thought of being like man that could have been a moment. <laughs> yes, and oh my God, especially with with COVID last year. Oh my God, like, can you imagine if she would have released it last summer? Like, it like it would have, like, like the it would. Oh my God, I can't answer. The been like hit, hitting the nail on the nose. Is that is is that the saying? <laughs> right on the nose. It was a cruel summer. <laughs> And then she could have released a music video if she if she would have just done that and just been like okay bye, <laughs> I, I would have been happy. Um, but yeah, um, great great album. Um, and then eighth and ninth. So my eighth would be fearless, and then my um, ninth would be self titled. Uh, and again, like it's not. I don't think she has any bad albums. I think it just for me, it's just with the passage of time, like it doesn't hit me as hard as it used to. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I spoke a little bit about how um, rep um, was, is um, like my favorite era in tour. was there was there one that you feel like really sticks out in your mind or that 
or that like you really re re resonate towards? Um, well, I mean, I would have to say red, even though I didn't go to red tour, I still very like, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've watched all of the, like, the video footage and stuff like that. So I feel like I've kind of been to red tour, um, but red as an album, as an era, all of that, like just very much speaks to me and not even just because it's my favorite album. There's just something about the like general ethos of red that continues to speak to me that the kind of idea of like you know living passionately and boldly and yes we are happy free confused and lonely at the same time like that is just yeah. and maybe it's my maybe it's my inner therapist but i'm like yes we are all of those things all at once like <laughs> we, like life is this chaotic messy thing full of really strong feelings that are good and bad all at the same time and that's what that album is like you can have an album that has a song that is as like wonderful and loving and sweet and optimistic as begin again and everything has changed on the same album as a song like all too well or sad beautiful tragic or you know i mean it's like you have these like very very optimistic things in direct contrast to these just absolutely devastating things and i think that that even though that's one of the things that that album actually got critiqued for like the whole like oh it was not cohesive or whatever i think is one of the things that some of the critics said to me that's what makes it so real because like life's not cohesive <laughs> yes um i i so um i said earlier that this was um the first mu music episode that we've done and i i really wanted to um talk about Red because it really is an album that impacted my life and so resonates with me today. I know a lot of Swifties have um, a lot of love for this album as well. And I think in particular with um, us being um, like within the therapy field, like this album, I think for me is Taylor at her most raw and like you said like i i really like how it wasn't cohesive and it's like because the things in her life weren't cohesive and thinking about it as a 22 year old none of our lives are cohesive are put together and i'm not i'm not i, I shouldn't even really put an age on it because like like still like, not cohesive yeah. in that way <laughs> yeah where it's like we're all trying to do our best. We're all trying to find um, love of self and find like love from other people. And I think this album, like it was, I, 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 I would argue that it's still her most personal that she's done. Um, and you know, we spoke earlier about music helping folks navigate through traumatic experiences and I think um as I said a few seconds ago like most Swifties would um would would definitely agree that Taylor's Red album was at the time of its release her most personal and vulnerable work um and I'm wondering like why you why um do you think this record re re resonated with with a lot of us and a lot of um 
fans and a lot of people at the time. I think, I mean, there's probably a lot of different reasons that it resonated with people. Um, but I think one of the big things is that she really doesn't um, like mince words or try to polish her experiences with any type of like lesson or silver lining. Um, like Fearless and Speak Now had their share of like, you know, sad heartbreak songs too. Um, but a lot of them included some type of like air to them of like, oh, this is really painful and I'm moving through it, moving on, or this was really hard, but here's the lesson that I learned from it. Or, you know, like, I mean, even, you know, you think about like, her, you know, on Fearless, right, like White Horse is this, you know, terribly sad, deep, heartbreaking song, but she does say, I'm going to find someone someday who might treat me well, like, you know, like, there's a, at least an air of, again, like a lesson learned, or a, some type of silver lining, or a feeling of some type of optimism, and, um, but like, with Red, Red took the vibe of a song, like, last kiss which you know that kind of i was a few and far between on those other albums where it's just it like took she took that kind of vibe and ran with it of this unapologetic un unpolished unfiltered just raw vulnerability where it's like i don't actually really have any answers or lessons and i don't know that i believe that there's hope or that you know something is going to come out of this all that i know is that this is how i feel and i'm feeling it so intensely that it feels like a fire burning inside me, burning red. Um, <laughs> and like, yes, the album, you know, includes some of that hope in individual tracks, like everything has changed and begin again, but like within the songs that are that really raw kind of painful piece, she doesn't try to, you know, find any type of meaning or lesson or hope there. She just lays it out as, hey, this is where I'm at and it's really hard. And I think that that resonates with a lot of people because it's really hard to find any of those more positive pieces when you're in that super raw moment. Like you can get there. Sure, we do. We That's what happens when we move through things. But like, you're not, that's not where you start, right? You start with just that absolute, like feeling of just raw emotion, raw nerves. And I think um, for me, it it just felt like one, like she put it out um, in fall. So it has very like um, fall or autumn vibes to it. Um, and I think too, like um, it's kind of, goes into um, the next question about what was going on in your life when the album was released. Um, I think for me at the time, I was going through a relationship where I was so in love with this person. And when I was with him, it was chaotic. And I was like, so in it and like nothing else mattered. And like, but then when it ended, it was like, I like, got hit by a truck and was not expecting it and would you say that perhaps it was like driving a new Maserati down a dead-end street yeah, yes <laughs> yes exactly like that um and I 
I'm just really thankful for this album because it helped me get through all of that, you know, like it helped me get through my anger. Uh, I can't even tell you the amount of times that I listened to all, all too well on repeat. And I, I think the one thing that I tell people too is like, I think that music is something that can literally save people's lives. And I say this as someone that when I was going through this breakup, um, I wasn't in therapy at the time. I didn't really know much about therapy. Um, but I know, and I think a lot of people listening know how music can help you in whatever way, um, in whatever feelings you're going through. And I think for me in particularly, you know, I'm so thankful for my friends that were there for me, but it got to a point where they were like, okay, like you've been like this for X amount of months, like you need to get out of it. And I think it was that type of relationship that I got out of it. I was just like, but I'm still hurting. I'm still feeling this. So for me, not having um, access or not being able to get into therapy, like, and my friends not really feeling that they could be there and hold that space and be um, or capacity for me. Like just listening to that song really helped me because I was like, okay, like I know I'm not alone because someone went through this experience. So um, yeah, I definitely, um, it's for me, the, the album's not lost on the fact that like, I think it helped a lot of us probably at least that Taylor will never uh, know or understand. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm just so thankful for that album as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there was a, there was a lot of, I mean, maybe it's just a, I mean, it's probably true at any given time that a lot of people are going through things or whatever, but I think a lot of people were going through stuff that then Red came out and it was like, oh, this is, this came out when I needed it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, was, was there anything going on in your life, like around, like around the time that the album was out that like it, like like that really resonated with you? Yeah, so I mean, it's funny because again, I feel like this is such a, a common story now that from people, but yeah, I would, when Red came out, um, well, I don't know about you, but I was 22. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as you can imagine that part in particular, I got a lot of mileage out of that song because, you know, hey. Um, but yeah. also I was, um, I, so I was fresh out of college and I was um, doing my year in a volunteer corps and I was about a year past a fairly traumatic experience in my life. So I was kind of in that like weird spot of, oh, I'm far enough out from this now that it's not uh, still in that like super raw spot. But then that means that maybe I actually have to start processing it. And like, that was messy. And I was in a weird, a really weird romantic situation with kind of two different people, neither of whom I was actually technically in an official relationship with, but like both of them felt like they had a fairly well staked claim on being the priority in my life. So it was like this weird, messy, whatever, kind of thing and um that so because of all of that it 
like red felt very much like the album that I needed at that time because everything from again from the like kind of sense of oh this like stage of life where I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing and I'm kind of you know I'm having a lot of fun in these areas but also this stuff is really hard like you know the happy free confused and lonely at the same time um without yeah I mean I don't need to get into too many of the details of it but I will say that when we are never ever getting back together was released as a single I think I had like well, I don't know how many, but far too many friends, like very pointedly sending that song my direction and being like, hey, um, so hey, just a thought, like just throwing this out here, you could actually stop, stop the cycle and say like never, ever, like ever. <laughs> so like that felt very fitting. Um, and just, yeah, just that kind of like idea of just, figuring things out, which is kind of a vibe on the album, I very much resonated with that. So not even just the specific pieces that felt like they fit with like the relationship drama, whatever, but just that idea of, oh, wow, yeah, everything is kind of chaotic and messy and weird. And I'm just trying to figure out what on earth I'm even doing with that and how I feel about it. So um, yeah, yeah, it was very, very well-timed for my life. <laughs> Yes. And and I think outside of our personal experiences, when when I think about just the timeline that the album came out in, like I'm thinking of how this album was really like her her like really first um playing around with like pop music. Um especially with like, um, with um, I Knew You Were Trouble and We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, um, working with uh, Max Martin and Shellback and how um, that really like solidified their partnership for 1989. Um, and like, I just think it's so cool that she was laying the foundation for um, her pop career um, and I also just love like a really good like country pop like crossover album um, which I think read yeah, that most critiqued for in that were things that I loved about it I loved that it was the country pop mix and yeah. people were like oh pick one but I'm like no why why should you have to pick one so that someone can market it yes. easier like yes. And then if, if you think about it in like context, I, I think the most recent example of that would have been like um, when Lil, Lil Nas X released like the Old Town Road and people were upset because is it hip hop or, or like is it country? And it's like, well, people are like influenced by different sounds and rhythms and music at this point. Like hot music is not like, pop music that there was in the 90s right like where it's like the bubblegum pop like I would say that like it's definitely like influenced by like rap and R&B to the point where like you can't really tell and honestly I, I just like don't think that there should be any genres I think people should just be able to make the certain music they want um, but the music 
business is something that I will probably never understand. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but I mean, I do really feel that, especially for artists to really take like creative control and and be the ones that that are in the driver's seat to like their own careers, which I'm so thankful that like like younger artists have Taylor is an example, although she went through something that I'm sure like she's always gonna like be hurting. Well, not always be hurting from, but it's always gonna be there. Um, but I, I think she's using that pain and being like, okay, listen, like you gotta get a good lawyer. <laughs> you gotta, you you gotta like do these things um, to make sure that you're music and your songwriting is your own um and i went on the tangent but circling back i think um i think just culturally where um red was in terms of sound at the time like um dubstep was huge and i'm happy she didn't really go too far in with dubstep. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it was just like a little bit on that song, but it, it's definitely like a like a um, r- record that's of that time frame. Absolutely, yep. Um, and what it's been, what, it was released in 2012. So it'll be nine, nine years um, and she's re-releasing it in November. Um, are there like any songs that you're most excited to listen to with the re- re-release? I mean, like all of them, of course, but so I, th- I would say in particular, um, well, the 10 minute um, All Too Well is probably going to just kill me. Like, I'm just gonna, um so that I really also I can't wait for re-recorded state of grace just because again that's my stand song so um but also I'm I'm really excited uh for better man because that is a song that I really like and was always like low-key bummed out that she gave away to someone else like I don't you know I mean I don't mind like little big town or whatever like that's fine but like I want to hear her version of it because I know like there's that, um, there's the video of her performing it um, acoustically at the Bluebird Cafe. And I'm like, yes, see, you wrote this song. It's your song. When you sing it, I can tell exactly where that's at. And so I want to hear how she records that because I think that like, again, no shade to the Little Big Town version, but like there's something about somebody singing their song that they wrote about their experience that hits different and I really am excited to hear how she does that yes um I I was about to say um at the end of the 10 minute version of all too well do you think that she'll tell us that she found the scarf (laughs) 
I don't know. But I have really, really been enjoying the like memes that have gone around on Twitter and Instagram about Jake Gyllenhaal with this coming up. Like I saw a great one the other day where it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is like he's photoshopped into this scene where it's like somebody sitting outside of a closet with like just their entire floor covered in clothes. And the caption is like Jake Gyllenhaal frantically looking for that scarf before Red before Taylor's version of Red comes out and the 10 minute all too well drops. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. Like I just, yeah. it has made for some excellent memes. <laughs> I, I'm so interested in like the like backstory to the scarf because like, I feel like when I was younger, I was so like, oh my God, like he has it or they're hiding it. But I'm just like, I saw an interview with um, his sister, Maggie, and she was like, I've never seen the scarf. I don't know what's up. And I'm like, okay, either you are covering for your brother <laughs> or like you really don't know where the scarf is. But I'm like, why would Taylor make up a lie about or even a joke about like a scarf being lost? Or My theory is that it's like the equivalent of the, the hoodie. You know, like the thing where like you take your partner's hoodie and are wearing it and it ends up at your place because you're going back and forth, you're spending so much time together, whatever. And like you, when you break up, you give back, you know, their things, they give you back yours, but there's always a few things that you discover after you do that exchange where you're like, oh, I still, I realized I still have this or you still have that. And if you discover it soon enough, you just reconnect and give them that like, oh yeah, we, you know, mm. I promise. But if it's like two months later and all of a sudden you're like doing laundry and you're like, oh shoot, I still have his hoodie or, oh, I still have her scarf. Maybe at that point you're like, I don't know that I want, whether it's that, you know, I don't know that I want to give it up or that I don't know that I want to do the awkward like reconnection to make giving it back. Like, I feel like I could totally see that as a thing of just like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call you up three months after we broke up because I found your scarf. I'm just gonna keep this and, you know, you didn't ask me for it back. So we're just gonna keep going our separate ways and then yeah all of a sudden you hear about it in a song and you're like oh shit you did notice I have your scarf <laughs> how does Taylor's music inspire you as a therapist um so I think um well okay so like for me personally um I am not always the best at like identifying or articulating my own emotions. Um, I think I like kind of touched on this earlier. Like I've always just found it a lot easier to um, kind of like process or express feelings through music, um, especially, excuse me, especially Taylor's music um, because she is a skilled songwriter and um, how she's able to describe experiences and feelings and all of that. Um, so because that's kind of how I am um, impacted by her music and the ways in which I am able to use that for my own kind of emotional processing, uh, that then inspires me like as a therapist. 
Um, because I know for plenty of people who come into my office that they are in a similar spot of maybe they, yeah, maybe they don't know how, how they feel about something or they know how they're feeling about something, but they don't know how to I, like explain it or don't know exactly what it means or, you know, like, so it's, it kind of gives me a window into, um, different ways to kind of talk about feelings, right? Like maybe if I'm asking somebody how they're feeling about something, they can't say, oh, I'm feeling X, Y, Z, and you know, this is why, but maybe they can tell me, uh, you know, the song that's really hitting for me right now is blah, blah, blah. And, oh, okay, well tell me what, what about that song is speaking to you right now? okay, well, here's what's speaking, right? And then you get into that and you can really get to feelings quickly that maybe you wouldn't have thought of if somebody had just asked, how are you feeling? Or how are you feeling about this thing? Um, so it, her music and how it kind of helped me get better in touch with my own emotional experiences, I think makes me a better therapist in the sense of being able to um, kind of like think outside the box and find other ways to help other people with their emotional experiences that are maybe not quote unquote traditional or like textbook standard. In the future, could you see yourself incorporating um, her music into your therapeutic practice? And if so, how? So I have, um, I have for a long time now been talking about a, a joke, but not actually a joke that I want to create um, the Taylor trauma therapy model. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, like I said, it's like a joke, but also not because it's like this dream that I have of creating my own therapy method that like is specifically centered around her music. Um, it, like in the sense that I think that similar to what I was talking about, about the emotional kind of uh, processing identification, that kind of thing. I think that I could use that as a, a way and similar to how I'm kind of already using music of like helping people um, identify specific emotions or connect with feelings, that sort of thing. Um, I think that Taylor has a lot of songs that can be used in different therapeutic ways. Like there, I mean, I could catalog for you various songs that she has that I could use to illustrate specific relational dynamics or like different the different attachment styles, um, you know, things like that. Um, I, you know, how songs that demonstrate healthy aspects of relationships, songs that demonstrate unhealthy aspects of relationships. Um, I love the imagery in the Look What You Made Me Do music video where she has all of the old tailors with her at the end. And I would love to use that in a therapy context of talking about how we all have these different like parts and pieces of ourselves and they all have different experiences and different needs and they're all worth listening to um, and, you know, have to be validated. And so I could do that and like the, you know, her kind of, storytelling piece of you know not being afraid to speak her own truth like I feel like there's room for that in a therapy use as far as inspiring people to tell their story and reclaim power over their own narrative and just all like you know kind of channeling that I mean obviously like maybe they wouldn't be you know, maybe a client wouldn't be like, oh, yes, I'm going to write an album and put my trauma <laughs> narrative out into the world that way. 
but you know, in whatever context that looks like for them being able to kind of, yeah, get, um, you know, reclaim the power over that narrative and really understand it and kind of integrate it into their lives. So even though I know maybe it sounds silly to say that I want to create a tailored trauma therapy method, um, I do think that I could make it into something legitimate, maybe niche. Um, <laughs> it may be, it may be a niche market and it might be a little non-traditional. I don't know um, how insurance would feel about reimbursing for it, but I think that I could get people who would be into it. I think that I could legitimately use it to help people and their, you know, emotional understanding and, um, and their, yeah, understanding of their own experiences. <laughs> you know, when I, um, read your um when when I read your interview piece and I saw you talk about this I was like I need to meet her I need to <laughs> talk with her because honestly this is so genius and I'm not only saying that as like a stan <laughs> um I I I think that the beautiful thing about being in this field is I'm finding a lot of us are creatives in different avenues and capacities and I just really think that um understanding that historically our field has been run by old white men <laughs> and that there really is in this culture shifting world like new avenues of connecting with people that are just as valid as these theories and these interventions that we've been told while we're in school. Um, well, there's nothing wrong with them, like in the right context, I think being open to other types of like interventions and different tools is like something amazing and um, like I think a part of me reading the interview you did it resonated with me a lot because um, outside of being a Swifty, I also really enjoy uh, me. Uh, sorry, I really enjoy fashion and style and like how we all have that. Um, we all have our own sense of style, but also like there are deeper questions of that, um, of just like, um, that's a first thing that people see um, when like you're out in the world, right? Is like what you're wearing and like um, you are conveying some something in the clothes that you wear. And I'm really interested in, in like a fashion therapy, particularly within um, LGBT populations um, for trans and gender non-conforming folks and like how important um, that could be for them in finding their like um, identity and feeling comfortable in their identity. So I think um, that saying all this, just like, I think it's so awesome that like you've been thinking about this and have like been thinking of ways that it could be helpful for the clients and books that you see and I can't wait to see you doing it like in the real world. 
I, like I said, I really hope that someday I'm able to make it a thing and who knows, maybe, you know, give me, uh, I don't know, I don't know a time frame, but at some point in the future, somebody is going to see this like CEU opportunity and they're going to be like, does that say yeah. trauma therapy? Because that seems interesting. And I'm going to be like, yes, yes, it is. Come and get your CEUs. <laughs> For folks that may not have caught on to the genius of Taylor's songwriting and catchy melodies, what songs would you recommend for them as we head um, into fall and winter? Well, I mean, Red would be the obvious choice, given that the re-recording is coming and it's a fall album. Um, I know I'm a broken record on that, but yeah, I would say that that album as a whole. Um, it's funny, I can't, I can't really explain this. It, it, might, I, it might just be a me thing because I am a State of Grace stan, but I have this like tradition every year where when the leaves are at their like peak, kind of turning point, like all the brightest colors. There's a street that I really love to drive down by where I live, where it's just like very colorful and beautiful. And I either will drive down with my windows down or I will go for a run and have my headphones in, but I listen to State of Grace very loudly. And it's just like this perfect fall moment. Wow. So that is my weird niche recommendation um, for fall for people is to go and observe the leaves while listening to State of Grace. I don't know why those two things go together in my head, but they do. Um, so yeah, so Red Album as a whole, State of Grace. Um, as far as other fall things, yeah, I mean, I think that Evermore is meant as a fall and winter album, so things and I think that that would be a good place to lean, although I do think that there's some pieces of folklore that almost feel fall-ish as well. Um, cardigan feels very fall to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when do you pull out your cardigans, right? Like not in the summer when it's, you know, 80 degrees. You pull out your cardigan when it starts getting chilly, and so I think that those are good, good places to lean into for some cozy fall music. That said, I am a firm believer that all Taylor's music is good at any given time, if that's what you want, so. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, in five to 10 years, where do you see Taylor's career and her relationship with us, um, her fans, AKA Swifties? <laughs> That is such a hard question. I truly don't know because on the one hand, I could totally see her just, like, you know, I mean, continuing to tour and just constantly be putting out albums just because like, as we know, she doesn't like to be just like sitting around, right? Like, I mean, COVID would have been the perfect excuse to just hunker down and chill out and spend time with your family and your boyfriend and not feel the pressure to tour or put out music. Like she totally could have done that and it's not, she would not have become irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the world would forget who Taylor Swift is if she didn't put out an album during the pandemic, let alone two, right? So she clearly wants to continue to produce music and, you know, connect with her fans in that way. So part of me wants to say that she will continue to do that. But then I also am like, but maybe she wants to pull back on the touring side of things in particular with like, you know, family stuff. Um, I wonder if she will lean more into kind of what she has been doing with folklore and evermore of putting out 
you know, music that she maybe isn't necessarily touring with, but does more kind of like one-off performances, um, or if she does more songwriting that she um, gives to other artists, you know, other artists who are singing things that she's written, and that's kind of a way for her to scratch the songwriting itch without, you know, necessarily putting in the long hours at the studio or doing touring. Um, so I could see it going either direction for her, but I think that either way, I think she is too, she's too connected and like invested in the relationship with her fans at this point to like disappear. Like, yeah. I don't know, I don't know what it will look like, but I feel like she's not, even if she quote unquote retires, whatever that looks like for her is not going to be a you know, she was never heard of again. Like <laughs> she's gonna be doing, like live streams from her kitchen while she's like making some kind of pasta and like talking to her cats, you know, like that it's, that is just what she's going to continue to do because that's who she is as like a person. Like that's not an artist persona. That's very clearly, a, you know, we can tell at this point, nope, that's just who she is. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I feel like I would second a lot of that. I think um, I think for me, she's like our generation's like Bruce Springsteen and not like, like that her like influence is going to be felt for generations. I mean, it, it, it already is. And we see that with this new generation of like pop artists um, and songwriters that are com coming up. So... I, I can definitely see her doing like my like dream for her is like she like does like a whole like acoustic set tour just like acoustic of like all her songs and like every night is like a different set list um, or like even like a different album like that'd be so cool. Um, I I think watching um, her Miss Americana documentary, I think for me, I saw like a, I, I, for me, I got like a glimpse of her feeling like, which is understandable of like the music industry. Like by the time that, that you're 30, she said that you're like in an elephant graveyard and disposed of, but like, I, I I personally would argue like her and Beyonce are proof that you can be like amazing like at your craft and like people are gonna support you because they know that the talent is there. Um, and like, I, I personally think just Beyonce and Taylor are at a whole nother level of success. I, 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 I can't explain it, but I, I feel that. Um, and I think a big part of that for both of them in particular is that both of them are, are, are albums artists where like they really care about the whole project. Um, and, you know, like in the streaming days, it's all about singles and trying to get the next single and blah, blah, blah. And I think Taylor in particular is really, um, she really knows a lot about the business side of the music industry. So I'm not even worried about that. I really think like 
she's going to continue to write songs for other people. Um, yeah, I'm just so interested in like her sound. I, I know, um, I feel like there's been discourse within the fandom of like, a lot of us would love like a, a rock pop album. And I'm like hold, holding out for that because I waited this long to get something like folklore. So it's possible. It definitely is possible. Um, and also it'd be cool if she did like a country album again. Like I, 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 I don't know, like I'm so into like whatever she wants to do because she, cause she's at that point in her career where she's able to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if there does end up being some kind of, maybe not like a full scale, full on country album, but I feel like she's going to do something that at least dips back to country at some point, because as she's doing all these re-recordings, you know that she isn't just not writing new stuff. Like she's doing record, she's recording all the old stuff, but again, see previous conversation about how she does not just stop working on new things. So if she's writing new stuff right now, I could totally see it being a thing that as she's re-recording this old stuff from her country eras, that that would slip in and influence some of the stuff that she's writing now. Like, I just would imagine it would feel a little bit disconnected to be writing like, you know, a dubstep pop album while you're, you know, immersed in your old country roots at the same time. So I, I feel like I could totally see whatever follows folklore and evermore being like a hybrid of like folk kind of leaning country. Um, but that's just my like personal theory that probably is influenced by the fact that I would absolutely love that. So maybe that's just what I want to believe because that's what I want her to do. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, before we close, I'm wondering how can folks connect with you after today's show? So probably the best thing um, as far as where I spend most of my time, I mean, if we're being honest, I spend probably too much time, but you know, that is what that is, um, is probably Twitter. Um, so I'm on Twitter as the caffeinated therapist, Taylor's version. Um, my handle is Bella B13. So B-E-L-L-A-B-E-E-1-3. Um, and I will just say that that 13 has been my lucky number for longer than I knew that it was Taylor's lucky number. So that was another thing where when she revealed that I was like, oh my gosh, we have the same lucky number in addition to being the same age. Um, but I know many Swifties have 13s in their various handles and it's like a nod to Taylor. And I like want everybody to know, you know, not to be like the total hipster about it, but like, this is actually my lucky number before I knew it was hers. <laughs> So yes, all that is to say, um, you can find me on Twitter, the caffeinated therapist um, with the handle Bellaby13. And like I said, I spend a lot of time there in particular, anytime there's a new album. I am a very, very loud tweeter about new music. So <laughs> yes, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I We're definitely going to have to do like another music music episode um, with more Taylor content because I really enjoyed this. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I, I to me, it's just like a, 
it's a, a totally easy answer to say, oh, do you want to sit and talk about Taylor? Like, yes, the, the answer is yes. You know, we talked about like my, with Twitter, my Twitter bio literally says probably talking about trauma or Taylor Swift. And we just talked about both. So this is kind of my, my wheelhouse. So I very much appreciate you asking me and appreciate the time of the conversation and yeah, hopefully, if, hopefully other Swifties are excited to be able to have uh, have some some good discussion to listen to as well. And hopefully by the time that this comes out and we're heading into the the re-recorded red release, we will all be all up in our feelings and just living our best fall lives. <laughs> Thank you. Hey folks, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Endless in Between underscore podcast and on Twitter at John O. James 4. Until next time, bye!